0: You're listening to Autumn on the Air, the weekly podcast that brings you conversations about the impact of research commercialization and the people who make it happen. Join us for interviews with patent and licensing professionals, innovators, entrepreneurs, and tech transfer leaders on the issues and trends that matter most. Keep listening for an inside track on the people, IP policies, and politics changing our world.
1: Welcome to Autumn on the Air. On today's episode, we'll be exploring the crucial intersection of policy advocacy and tech transfer, focusing on how tech transfer offices can collaborate with research and government relation departments to drive advocacy efforts that resonate in Washington. Joining us today is Kate Hudson, an accomplished legal professional with a wealth of experience in policy and federal relations. Kate currently serves as the Associate Vice President and Counsel for Policy and Federal Relations at the Association of American Universities. Her diverse portfolio covers areas such as intellectual property, technology transfer, open and public access, data privacy, and copyright issues. Kate's impressive background also includes serving in the U.S. federal government in senior attorney advisor roles in both the legislative and executive branches, Her legal expertise has contributed to crucial areas like legislative drafting, interagency governance, and federal financial management. Kate's dedication extends to various associations and initiatives aimed at promoting legal advocacy and volunteer work. I'm thrilled to have Kate Hudson with us today to shed light on the dynamic interplay between policy issues and tech transfer. Welcome, Kate. I'm so excited to have you here on the air. Happy to be here. Well, thank you again for joining us today, and we have a lot to talk about, so I wanted to get started by asking you about the vital connection between policy issues and tech transfer. How do policy issues impact the world of tech transfer and innovation on university campuses, and how do you think these decisions shape the landscape for innovation-driven endeavors?
0: This is this is such a great question. And I I wish I I wish I was giving you good news in that <sighs> oh, it doesn't no. have a lot of impact, except that it does. Every single day here uh, in Washington and with federal agencies um on the Hill as well, um and, and throughout the country, there are um there's got new government action um every single day at the intersection of higher education, technology transfer, intellectual property. Um, all of those, those uh, research security, all of those aspects that have such a direct impact um, on tech transfer, um, it's, it's happening all the time. It, it, it's like a cloud. Um, there are always pieces being, you know, moved around and changed. And, you know, one agency wants to do things this way or another agency uh, is asking, you know, is asking for comments and feedback on a change on a perspective change that they're thinking about. Um you know then there's like you know all of the permutations of legislation and and um you know there's there's so much happening all the time um with policies related to tech transfer um not just in the the areas i named there's also i mean there's also the entire area of tax and financial services um grants uh and and even things uh, you know that that are specific to different types of technology transfer so things that we talk about in like the biomedical space Or if we're talking about in civil engineering space, like even inside of those niche areas, there are things happening every single day that have all different orders of magnitude uh, of impact on technology transfer.
1: You know, I'm a patent attorney and I know every day there's changes in, in patent law, not only here in the U.S., but globally. How do you keep up with all this that's going on and changing? It sounds like it's a tremendous job, just the upkeep.
0: Well, you know, that's why I have a full-time job. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Sometimes I wish there were two of me. How I stay on top of things is that, I mean, I I read voraciously. I mean, I feel like information intake is such an enormous part of, of my job. And the ability to read and um, put things into context, analyze, synthesize multiple sources, but also see the context of that information, you know, who, who is, who is saying this, Sure. what kind of angle do they have? What are their interests? What are their equities thinking about our own um, coming up with our own policy stances, but all of that, Starts from a huge information in intake overall for, for myself and for the other um, advocates here at AAU. Yeah,
1: I would imagine we'd have to. And, you know, keeping on the theme of patents, you know, universities are becoming more proactive in advocating for patent and innovation issues in Washington. How do you think tech transfer offices can collaborate with research and government relations departments to amplify their advocacy efforts? And more so, how can these collaborative initiatives yield more impactful outcomes?
0: Right? There are actually a lot of really great things that um, tech transfer offices can do with their research colleagues, with their government relations colleagues on campus. Um, but the first, the primary thing that um, I, I hope that, that um, tech transfer personnel can think of is that you have to, with policy, you have to think long game. This is a marathon, not a sprint. Um, you know, every time we have a new bill introduced. A lot of people outside of Washington, there's a lot of energy, a lot of sense of urgency around it. This bill may have to be introduced in four different Congresses before it makes way. Right. And sometimes that's that's difficult for um, individuals outside of the uh, outside of the beltway to understand. So starting from it's a marathon, not a sprint mindset, you are looking to both make your work as visible as possible on your campus with the other parts of your campus and your campus leadership and your government relations um, professionals, as well as build those those campus relationships and build those relationships with policymakers with the help of of your FR staff. there are a lot of different ways that you can make connections with policymakers and build those relationships. Like having a fly-in, which if, if you're not familiar with that term, it's you know where we bring people to uh, the policymakers here in D.C. Whether they're a federal agency leader, whether they're um, a member of Congress, um, whether they're congressional staff members. Um, sometimes it's it's difficult to understand that a lot of the sausage and the decisions are not made particularly by the member of Congress. They only happen because the staff has the knowledge and and is educated on the issues to be able to provide the advice to the member of Congress. So those relationships through fly-ins, through innovation days on the Hill, um, through seeking out alumni connections, um, both at the staff level and the member of Congress level. It's not just about where the member of Congress went to college. It's also about, you know, where their legislative director went um, and to craft those relationships um, having hosting delegations on campus, bringing your congressional delegation to your campus to talk about all of the amazing things that you're doing um, during their time when they're in their home districts. That's a great idea. That's a great way to immerse, really immerse them on campus with everything, you know, and see all the cool stuff. Yeah, absolutely. You know, see the cool lasers. And it's a time to get outside of Washington. It's not just another meeting in a series of meetings on the hill. It can be a real, jolt to policymakers instead of just having, you know, shaking hands after shaking hands after shaking hands in the same meeting room every day uh, on the Hill. Um, So those are some ideas that all of those ideas require collaboration with the research officers and with your government relations staff um, on your campus. And, And those kinds of collaborative efforts are really what helps people like me the most. In making impact and getting the attention and educating um, policymakers and their staffs here in Washington.
1: Well, thank you. That's some really great suggestions and really some great advice for our listeners to think about when um, they're looking to interact more on um, these patent and innovation issues with with Washington. So, thank you. And you know, it's interesting to me because the tech transfer landscape is just so broad. It often interacts with other aspects of university operations, like Federal science budgets and manufacturing initiatives. So, do you have some suggestions about how tech transfer professionals can contribute to these broader goals through effective policy advocacy?
0: Right. It, so often, um, you can get really fixated on the outcome.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: On how you know how many licenses you, how many deals you close this year, right? How many metrics? On, of, of the outcomes. When what I really, the biggest thing that I, that equips me and others like me here um, in DC is the, it's the entire arc, right? It's not, it, it's, you know, this is higher education is as much workforce training as anything else, right? And so just because, you know, when we talk about like, oh, it was a light year, we only had a few license, only a few deals closed, right? But how many, how many individuals um, did your university or your program graduate into the workforce this year? How many, how many of them worked on your projects and then can take that experience into their next job or into, you know, into the next project, right? And into the next like level for themselves. So don't forget to talk about all the steps along the way. Workforce, the interconnectedness of our academic institutions with the economy <laughs> and not just and not just those pure metrics you know when you what what is really um exceptionally impactful to talk about now is regional economic impact especially outside of you know the traditional major urban centers and all of those things when you look at um when you look at some of the research around what is the largest indicator of regional innovation and it's number of patents right and so talk about Patents as a metric of regional economic innovation, right, and talk about how your technology transfer feeds into all different parts of the economy, not just what's right here in front of you, being able to frame your efforts and your work as lifting that entire ecosystem that's way more impactful I mean, yes, the data is very useful, knowing exactly how many dollars you made um, or are going to make over the life of a of a deal. That's great information to have. But, you know, we have to talk about this more holistically for it to really sink in how impactful technology transfer is to the American economy, to the workforce, to the academic enterprise.
1: So startup and job creation, things like that.
0: Yeah, that those are great. And those are great things to do. Um, to talk to talk about, but you need to talk about it in that context of of lifting all the boats, exactly, right? not just a few boats. But how does it impact everything? It's not just the individuals that work at the startup. It's they then they then buy a house. They then are able to you know have two cars and a garage and a picket fence and a dog and a cat and kids and you know they're going to be paying into your tax system. Their children are going to go to school there. But all of those kinds of more broad economic factors, those are the things that are most impactful with policymakers.
1: Yeah, and the collaboration doesn't stop there, does it, Kate? You know, um, and I wanted to move on and talk about how tech transfer professionals can effectively share their passion for innovation with policymakers to help bring the importance of tech transfer to the forefront of their discussions. So, Kate, okay, what would you say and what would you suggest that tech transfer professionals can do to help government relations teams effectively convey the importance of innovation and tech transfer when engaging with these policymakers?
0: Right, right. Um, your A number one thing is to fight the decentralization culture on our university campuses. Um, it, it It is a product of, you know, many, many, many years, but I continue to be i um, astonished by how decentralized many universities truly are um, and how they're um, at many times the FR, um, you know, the FR and the GR um, staff, they are either DC based and, and even some of the campus based ones. It's very easy to get caught up in all of the things that happen every day and not focus side of that of purely that GR work. The single best the single best thing you can do is to build a relationship with your GR shop. Over time, with everybody, not just the head, right? And to build that relationship to to talk about your work, um, it equips them with so much. I don't want to say ammunition, but it equips it, it equips them with so much um, so much uh, uh, content. And anecdotal evidence and things that we can talk about. And it helps them also to identify issues as they happen. So, if you have a really good relationship with your government relations staff and they see a bill come through, they will, if they know you and they know your issues, they know what you're working on, and you have that relationship, they will more readily be able to identify issues um, in regulations that come down the pike, in legislation in other types of initiatives that are going on, um, understanding what a specific piece of policy, whether it's an executive order, a, a piece of legislation, or a proposed regulation, our our FR colleagues, our GR colleagues have to understand how that's going to impact their campus. And if they don't know about your work and what you're doing, it's a zero-sum game. Their attention is finite. It will go to other, it will go to other issues just because they don't know what they don't know. And so if, if that that is the single biggest thing. And to talk about and to talk about what types of what areas of technology transfer your university is particularly emphasizing. Different universities have different priorities. They um, depending upon, you know, when you look at it over time, different universities focus on different areas of technology transfer. Not everyone does everything, right? And you can even see it regionally. I mean, like in the Northeast with um, biopharmaceuticals, like that has a huge emphasis in Northeastern schools. It's different in Texas. It's different in California, right? Talking to your government relations staff about what your university is particularly focused on or has made huge strides in and is known for, that is, that's so great. That is, that's a really, really helpful thing. Um, And making yourself available. So building on that relationship. And then if you're, if, you know, GR people like love to take, I love to take people with me to the Hill and say, you need to talk to this person because this is the person that is going to be impacted by whatever I'm there to talk about. Right. And so you can, learning to tell your story and your, and your, certainly your GR staff can. Talk to you about how to communicate your story, how to um, how to bring about that that narrative. Um, but the first thing is you have to fight that decentralization to make that kind of relationship. Um, you can also get involved externally, right? You can also like uh, associations like Autumn um, and others. You can get involved as a technology transfer person, even in in a specific area. If if you are focused on AI. You can, you, can, you can work externally with other thought leaders and other groups and associations in a particular area of focus, or it can be about your profession, like with Autumn. Um, and working externally, you will learn a lot and you can aid them in, in crafting their stances for policymakers as well. And, and working both internally and externally is a really great way to bring all of those issues to the, to the forefront.
1: Yeah, I think getting involved in organizations like Autumn and AAU and others is a really great way to help make an impact and engage with policymakers and people like yourself. So, Kate, given your role at AAU, I know you're deeply involved in guiding policy discussions related in tech transfer and research When it comes to the current policy landscape in Washington that we're experiencing now, what are some of the pressing issues that are emerging that have a direct impact on the daily work and aspirations of tech transfer professionals? Right. So
0: my work so often is guided specifically by the political context in the landscape that is emerging. Um, We are at a very interesting time right now in, in the sense that The realization that our economic security is hugely related to our national security, particularly as it relates to uh, China and um, Chinese-American relationships and trade and intellectual property issues. So at this moment right now, um, having the ability to know that political context and frame our efforts and demonstrate those efforts as a way of satisfying um, the, the the now recognition that we need to reshore domestic manufacturing, that we need to um, that we need to make assurances that our supply chain is is protected and not um, and not necessarily completely dependent on a foreign um, country. Um, the the context of those discussions, that realization right now. It's very, very helpful t- for technology transfer, in my opinion, because we can frame the authorizations and appropriations that the federal government is making for research dollars, but is also appropriations that are made to programs like the SBIR, STTR program, other SBA, other small business administration um, initiatives, things that are happening in tax with either tax cuts or changing, um, changing the way that um, specific credits can be claimed, um, all of these pieces all add together for technology transfer um, professionals in the way we talk about our work, right? And so this is a time where the I would say the vast majority of members of Congress and federal agencies I'm not saying everybody's on the same page because they're sure. Not. <laughs> no, they,
1: when are they ever, though? Really,
0: right? But when we talk about this, oh, this, this kind of this umbrella narrative of how do we, how do we preserve our our domestic economic security? How do we preserve our national security? All of these pieces that used to just you know used to be fun stuff, right? It all actually fits together, and it's that the it's that more people have realized that. And now it's a priority. Now they're like, yes,
1: please teach me about how... um, Chip manufacturing was what I was going to say, the CHIPS Act.
0: Yeah, fully funding the science part of the CHIPS and Science Bill, full implementation of CHIPS. How are those? It's, It's a much easier task now to draw that line for policymakers directly from economic and national security to your work. And so thinking about crafting your story and crafting your narrative in those terms in a way that will that grabs attention that's a it's a great time <laughs> a great time for that political context
1: yeah absolutely
0: so that's definitely something that is having an impact Um, talking about innovation, talking about intellectual property. It's a hot time for IP law on the Hill right now. This last Congress and this Congress have been very hot.
1: Yeah, there's been a lot of activity. Tom Tillis is back at it again, trying to fix subject matter eligibility in Section 101. So, yeah, there's there's a lot going on. And you had a big shift, too, with Senator Leahy's retirement as well you know he he was definitely a big
0: player for better or for worse <laughs> in i in the intersection of ip um and policy there in dc and you've had a, you've had a major shift but this is a bipartisan issue like this is not when when i go in and and advocate on different things i it's 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 across the board it, it's I, it's not like i'm avoiding really anybody um, other uh, other than people that have you know already proclaimed that they are anti whatever but there's a lot of appetite for bipartisan solutions to these things in a way that you know so few things are bipartisan <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> and where one area where bipartisanship is I mean that's a, a great thing that that a lot of um, these this poli- these policies these perspective policies and regulations have going for it you have we have a, we have a lot of people's attention right now
1: so Kate, it's obvious you've played a significant role in supporting legal expertise in a variety of matters that affect research universities. How has your experience in areas like data privacy and copyright issues intersected with the tech transfer landscape?
0: Um, right, that's a great question. Um, I am a generalist uh, by trade. I have done. I, I joke with friends that you know I've done everything from you know speeding tickets and, and jaywalking citations <laughs> all the way up to. An executive order, right? So, um, having a broad generalist experience like that really helps um, helps me see the larger landscape of legal issues. Um, it's we need obviously we need our specialists, right? We need people who, you know, eat, sleep, breathe a specific type of issue. But we also need generalists who are able to see the larger landscape. Um, I would say in terms of in terms of my work here how how uh copy my experiences with copyright and data privacy intersects with tech transfer is that these are all concern very real-time concerns happening um for our universities so you know obviously emphasizing tech transfer and and working to um you know working to commercialize and supporting those efforts on campus and you know really getting um getting those licensing deals across the finish line is very important but it's also happening. It's not nothing happens in a vacuum. It's happening in the context of other policy developments, other massive changes to um, major research universities like those that I represent, right? So, if we're thinking about, um, you know, for example, data privacy, if if a comprehensive federal solution to data privacy gets passed here in the next, I'm going to say five years, hopefully. Um, What implications that will have for every single piece of my my member universities because it will touch everything. Um, It's not just it's not going to just touch you know marketing and recruitment. It's not just going to touch um, you know the data management uh, in our research labs, right, and just maintaining that data. It's it's going to touch a lot of different things, and so having that kind of larger experience i'm always thinking about how all of these policy issues are going to interplay specifically for research universities and 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 more and even more granularly how that affects the efforts of the technology transfer offices and the research colleagues that they work with
1: so kate Given your extensive experience, which is obvious based on our conversation so far, you've likely encountered challenges and achievements in shaping policy discussions. Would you mind sharing with us some of your memorable experiences where policy advocacy significantly influenced the tech transfer landscape for the better?
0: Right. Absolutely. Um, as it relates to tech transfer, I think I a really memorable recent experience for me has been... Um, being, uh, you know, being a, a resource and providing um, baseline education on on the bayh Act and, and march in rights. It is very, it's a hot topic.
1: Very hot topic. Yeah. Joe Allen and others who have been talking about it. Yes. <laughs> Joe is very passionate about it, as you know. I'm sure you know him. <laughs> yes. And, and, and Joe
0: is great. Joe is a great colleague. Um, and it's great to have that institutional memory. Someone who was in the room where it happened, right? Um, it, that is Always a great perspective to have um, as, as we move into the fifth decade of, of Baidol. Um, and so, provide recently, um, myself and, and other colleagues, uh, because it's become a hot topic, we have been able to provide that baseline education to members of Congress and their staff about how foundational Baidol really is. Baidol is something that people take for granted every single day. They don't. They don't know what it is. They don't know what it's called. They don't know that that we had to create this mechanism for this policy to exist, right? And without dole <laughs> uh, a lot of tech transfer people would uh, not have a portfolio. <laughs> uh, and a lot of the
1: drugs that we, a lot of us are benefiting from, and our families are benefiting from, may not have existed because they would still be sitting on the shelf somewhere.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And so you know. A, a really interesting caveat to march in and specifically the recent conversations about drug prices is that my member institutions are enormous consumers of, um, of, of medications, uh, both generic and life-saving and, and new therapies, therapeutics, diagnostics, medications themselves. They're both consumers of it because we have um, a great deal of hospitals uh, attached to my member institutions um, as well as health systems. Um, but we also are the other side of that as well. We are the researchers. We are the discoverers of the nascent and embryonic um, technology coming out of this research, right, that then moves towards commercialization. So we occupy both sides of this debate. And that's what I like to stress to policymakers is that we, we are not just one side of this equation. We are both of them. And, um, and so for us, we want we have provided that that education to them understanding how we go from you know a, an initial research study to you pulling a medic an over-the-counter medication off of the shelf right what happens in between that 10 15 years and billions
1: of dollars yes exactly the
0: vast majority of Americans do not understand the legal foundation that's under that's underneath that it is very listen it is very. On Vogue right now to call for March in rights on um, on on medic- on drug to in as a mechanism for possibly lowering drug prices. I, we can talk more about that later, but it's not going to get them what they want. But most people do not understand that ecosystem and what drives it. And so for me, most recently being able to to do that for to provide that education and that information to individuals who are being asked to support either a full repeal of Baidol or uh, to, to support um, pet- more petitions for marching rights or to eliminate the need for a petition for marching rights. To, so to combat all of those um, so-called creative solutions by providing that that information, I'm particularly proud of that. Equipping them with information that they need to make an informed decision so that they don't vote for something and then say, well, but I had no idea that's how it worked. Right? We want everyone regardless of party affiliation we want our members of congress to be able to make educated and informed choices about the policies that impact america and being able to provide that information i'm very i'm very proud of that regardless of whether the member of congress actually eventually agreed with our stance or not but they have that knowledge and they're equipped
1: in their informed decision making so that's something that i and taking with me for the future. And you should. And thank you for your efforts in that regard because there continue to be challenges after challenges on march and rights oh, and by dole. So it seems to be the topic that never goes away.
0: Yeah. And and the sausage is made uh, in real time. You know, I've just taken a staffer's call at eleven o'clock at night, the night before a hearing. I have absolutely done that because they need it right then. The member has a question and they need it right then. And so that that knowing how important that is, that's, that's a big impact for, for for me and for my organization. And, and that's what we're here for. Absolutely. Again,
1: thank you for your efforts in that regard. <laughs> and, you know, I want to go back to intellectual property. We've talked about it a little bit so far during the podcast, and obviously it plays such an impactful and pivotal role in tech transfer. How do you see the evolving patent landscape impacting the flow of ideas from academia to the marketplace?
0: Yeah, there's there's been so much there's been a lot of movement um, in IP policy, both at the agency level and prospective legislation. Uh, the most, I think, since since the AIA was passed in 2011, quite frankly. So we're we're reaching another tipping point here a, a l- over a decade later. <laughs> um, I think that there's a real schism in in how people view the future and the strength of our IP system. Um, People do not, actually, another thing that the general population does not know or appreciate is that the strength, predictability, and reliability of the US intellectual property system is so unique. I mean, other countries uh, have, are even now attempting to replicate it because strong, reliable patents help to um, help all of these efforts of moving from the initial discovery to the marketplace. We have to have strong intellectual property protections in place. And a lot of a lot of practitioners, especially, get lost in the weeds of the process, of the administrative law process, of the Article Three courts, and the judiciary process, when what we should be really doing is seeing the forest for the trees, right? How does this look overall? And we are not the only game in town anymore. The United States is not the only game in town anymore for patents. We I mean, like we can see that China is ascendant in creating and replicating, to be honest, replicating our system and strengthening it. And I mean, even research that was released this morning talked about how how much progress they've made um, in terms of of their infringement damages, actions, their ability to issue injunctions, things that we are faltering on. And so I'm worried. I mean, I I am legitimately worried. I mean, that's why I'm up on the hill all the time is that if we don't make the right decision here, it's going to be bad. It's going to be very detrimental and it's going to, this is such a delicate ecosystem. And when you start playing with little levers left and right, because you're only looking at that lever, you know, in a vacuum, you're not going to understand how large the first, second and third order magnitude effects are going to be. And so, that's a lot of my job is talking about like, I know this is a patent litigation bill. I know that this doesn't seem like it affects universities at first blush, but it does. And here's how. And here's how this will impact the future risk calculations of venture capitalists. This is how the uni- how universities who, even if they are very well resourced, elite universities have to make decisions about whether they're going to sue someone for infringement whether it's better to just let it go or whether do we really have to pursue this and devote the millions of dollars necessary to litigate this claim. And I'm a former litigator myself. And I, listen, I love litigation, but it is expensive. It is a drain on time, talent and treasure for everyone involved. And so what is seemingly just a litigation bill has huge, huge implications. I'm, I am, I'm legitimately worried that we are going to go down the wrong path and continue the trend that is already opening. The, the, the the jaw is, the jaws are already opening. It's whether we fall into them or, or not. And, and I'm, I'm actually very worried And, and I'm not a patent practitioner. Like I'm a generalist and I'm, I'm very worried for this area.
1: I'm a patent practitioner and I do a lot of work in diagnostics. And so uh, I have been uh, very worried since the Supreme Court decisions involving subject matter eligibility. And to be honest, some of the other decisions that we're seeing, you know, um, we've had Amgen versus Sanofi with respect to, you know, at first instance, written description now enablement. You know, um, it is a very wor- worrisome time, particularly in the life science space. And and then you have everything that's going on at the PTAB and things like that. So it's you're spot on. It's a very uh, we're at a precipice, I think. And it's where do we go from here? What, what really
0: shocks me about some of these discussions, especially with like, the current climate, um, and this focus on patent litigation is that patent litigation is just allowed to behave in different ways than any other form of litigation is allowed. I have practiced before administrative tribunals, the federal courts, state courts in, you know, three different courts, like it's three different states. Like the allowances that have have evolved uh, are just, to me, I know this is not probably not a popular opinion, are asinine.
1: It's a unique beast. Yep you
0: cannot get injunctive relief. Like that is, that's absolutely mind blowing to me. And, and it, I think that we have really gotten off track in terms of the, the baseline constitutional principles, but also the intersection with the article three judiciary. I think we have really gotten off track. And I say that as a former federal employee and a former litigator outside of government, I think we've
1: really gotten off track Um, But that's my soapbox. (laughs) Yeah, and I'm going to move on because you and I could go on for hours talking about this topic. We'll save it for another time. Um, I want to turn back to policy advocacy because it's an area that's always uh, evolving. And so what strategies do you recommend for tech transfer professionals to stay updated on the latest policy developments and then be able to effectively communicate those updates to their respective institutions?
0: Right, yeah. I mean, there are... The internet is a wonderful tool, right? <laughs> so there are a lot of news outlets um, that are specific to this area. Um, they have, you know, they have listservs, they have mailing lists. Like just going out and 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 looking at who is reporting on these issues, right? Google an issue that you're that you're curious about and see who is talking about it. See who's talking about it on Twitter. You know, Twitter obviously um, it, the the best and worst of humanity we see on Twitter, to be honest. But a lot of people share papers and resources um, and other kinds of um, really informative um, pieces uh, on there, um, and it can lead you further down the the garden path of finding more um, more reputable sources and things like that to ta- to inform yourself about those updates. Um, I always tell people look for the niche news and blogs. Look. At, subscribe to the relevant the relevant agencies the agencies that you intersect with the most they all do newsletters they all do press releases they all have twitter handles subscribe to them it's free it's free content it's easy um there are a myriad of associations in any given area both on the professional level the issue area and then a lot of them are very specific like the national academy of inventors um is great if you are in that space. They talk about all of these issues that pertain to inventors across the board, not just a specific type of inventor. Um, Associations like my own, we put out information every single day on what's happening in Washington, and that can be delivered straight to your inbox. You don't have to go hunting for it. Um, Paying attention to your congressional delegation, they also have Twitter hand. Most of them have Twitter handles. They issue press releases. You can see where where are they visiting in your district. What are they focusing on? Um, all of those kinds of passive pieces of information can help you get more immersed in this and to stay up to date on it. Um, you know, a lot of the relevant associations and orgs that that this is like for me, like this is my full- time job. It, a notice of proposed rulemaking, I'm absolutely pushing that to my members. If I think it's something that they need to comment on, I'm pushing that to them and say, you know, please take a look at this. Tell me how this is going to impact you specifically, something you're working on or something you've worked on in the past. So those kinds of like, those kinds of passive interactions can help inform um, individual tech transfer um personnel and they can learn more about what's happening in this space and and also get involved. Like that tails back to our previous question about how to get involved. Just taking in more information and being aware of the context um, outside of your university, those will lead those those will lead to to greater amounts of knowledge and
1: involvement and engagement. Thank you. Those are some great suggestions and I want to go ahead now and move from a micro to a macro perspective and ask you about how policy advocacy and tech transfer can contribute to the broader national innovation ecosystem and help foster economic growth.
0: Right. You know, I, I think it, my my comments earlier about framing your work um, definitely play into this. When I talk to people about the innovation ecosystem, right there's three pillars to me for me there, there there are three pillars of it there's there's government action and p- government policy there are our the academic research enterprise and technology transfer and private sector right talk about the three legged stool we one cannot do it without the other we have to have all three all three play a very different role they're not going to behave the same they don't need the same incentives they don't have the same role so Viewing them as both individual pieces of this ecosystem, um, but also that no one can no one can work without the other. Right? We all need each other. Um, and so, talking about how your work frames into into that ecosystem um, is is a really great way to talk about the contributions overall to our our broader economic growth nationally, both domestically, but also continuing. How do I say this? Um, continuing the 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 um, innovation dominance that the United States ha- has had for many decades, we have a lot of competition, um, and it's it's easy to become reactionary and, and try to shut things down when when what we should be doing is leaning into those three pillars, leaning into it, and so. Um, the broader national context and international context, to be honest, like looking at how your work writ large, uh, not just the outcome of the research, not just how this singular technology is going to advance our society, but the whole work is all part of that national innovation ecosystem. And it's not just startups. It's not just, you know, it's not just little and big tech. It's everything. It's everything. It's agriculture. Um, it's, it, you know, it's it's software, it's agriculture, it's engineering, it's infrastructure. It's all of these different pieces. It's very, the when you use the innovation uh, buzzword, people immediately think of like startups and technology in Silicon Valley. And to be honest, that
1: doesn't pull well with everybody. No, not really. Well, Theranos has been in the news for the last few years, and I think it's left a bad taste in a lot of people's mouths, let's face it.
0: It has, but when you talk about um, a, a research and, and discovery and, and moving something to commercialization that could improve the American ability to um, have higher crop yields so that we have to import fewer perishable goods, right? And and how we can, you know, other ways to secure our supply chain um, and reshore parts, if not all, but parts of our um domestic manufacturing, you know, when you talk about those kinds of things, when you talk about your work, those are very interesting to people, especially right now. So being able to, um, to talk about your work as it advances the policy advocacy, whether you're opposed to a policy or for a policy, right? So many times in my job, it's not what I get
1: past. It's not what I help get past. It's what I prevent from getting past. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's hard for people to understand. Since they don't see it, they don't know what's been avoided. So thank you for doing that. Cause I can only imagine what you see that doesn't get passed or change. Yeah. Yeah. Changing the opinion on something. I mean it it a lot of times it's what we it's what you don't see. Absolutely. And that's why the work you do is so critical. So, Kate, as the podcast comes to a close, I wanted to ask you, what advice would you offer to tech transfer professionals who are keen to make their voices heard on policy issues? And how do you think they can effectively contribute to the advocacy undertaken by their respective institutions?
0: Yeah, they have to get visible. They have to get visible both on their own campuses and externally, to be honest. There are plenty, there are quite a few tech tech transfer um you know professionals that i they maybe they're at a member institution but i heard about them and read about them because of something on linkedin or twitter um they can you know becoming a thought leader or at least being visible about your work hey we secured this massive deal or you see an article and you say you know I, you know, I, I disagree with the author on this, and the, here's how it will affect me and my campuses. It doesn't have to be PR, quote unquote. Like it doesn't have to be raw, raw PR. you even having a contrarian opinion to something is very helpful in demonstrating that maybe other factors have not been examined in research or the or the journalist failed to take into account other factors that happens quite a bit. Um but getting visible, crafting those relationships, not only like crafting those relationships across your educational enterprise, across your academic enterprise, I should say, um, the relationships with your gr staff, the relationships with your research officers, and those relationships externally, right? Your corporate partners, right? If there's a bill or a, or a regulation that is going to affect your um your ability to work in tech transfer, your private sector partners should know about it. And your private sector partners also have people here in D.C. And so if you can bring to bear the leverage and, if, and, and influence of both your campus and your private sector partners, that can be very persuasive, very persuasive. So who are your friends and allies that can help take up a cause when you need them to when you're alone on something? Because in the end, if you're affected by it, eventually they will be affected by it. And typically, that's easy for them to see. Not not every time, but most of the time, it's very easy for them to see how an effect to you is going to be an effect to them eventually, and they may help weigh in. So, getting that visibility and crafting those relationships, and just be loud about your work. Be loud and great about it. Like, be be really like. I know that's I know a lot of people are uncomfortable with that, but like leverage social media and be loud about your work and the visibility will come to you. The interactions will come to you. Hey, can I pick your brain on this? I'm struggling with this regulatory, you know, um, issue that's popping up. You could get contacted by, you know, an agency policymaker who's just, I'm struggling to write this regulation. Can you help me? That's great. And that kind of interaction is, is priceless. Like that's, absolutely priceless to be able to shape it that way to help them give them the information that they need so they understand the impact before a policy is enacted that's that is like that's priceless interaction
1: well again thank you for the great advice and thank you kate for being on the podcast today and for sharing your extensive insights into the world of policy issues and tech transfer this has been an absolute pleasure thank you so much for having me i really appreciate it
0: Thanks for listening to Autumn on the Air with Lisa Mueller. Get social with us and share your thoughts. You can tweet us at AUTM or visit us online at AUTM.net. We'll be back next week on the air. Be sure to join us.